This is the Cotswolds People podcast, brought to you by Alistair James Insurance Brokers. My name's Alistair, and throughout this podcast, I'm going to be speaking with a variety of very special guests from the worlds of business, sports, music, literature, politics, and many more, all of whom have a connection to the Cotswolds area of outstanding natural beauty. Do please leave us a review or rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear our latest guest interviews. This week, I'm joined by Eve Jardine-Young, who is the principal of the internationally acclaimed Cheltenham Ladies' College. In this wide-ranging chat, which we recorded over Zoom, we discuss how the school deals with the important issues of mental health and well-being, and how the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics, and traditionally male-dominated industries are promoted within the school, and how the school plays such an important role in the local Cheltenham and Cotswolds community. But we go straight in with how the school has been adapting to remote learning and trying to deliver virtual learning and planning for its international pupils in various different time zones around the world during the coronavirus pandemic. It has been an extraordinary time. It really has, really has, and still in it, as you say. So much to learn, lots to reflect on. And um, yeah, you, you're sort of, I suppose, that you, we're trying to live and work in sort of three different time frames. One is the immediate here and now, like what does next week look like, you know? And then there's the, in every school, you're so driven by the rigidities of the academic yearly cycle. You know, this is the term dates, this is Christmas, this is Easter, this is, you know, the public exam period. Um, and, and there's this sort of huge national synchronicity around those it's almost like a tide going in and out, you know, are we in the school holidays? Are we out of the school holidays? You know, the whole country is sort of slightly going into the gravitational pull of these, of these periods of time, which are entirely man-made constructs and, and sort of relatively arbitrary. They're just there for, from, for historical reasons, but it means that your institutional inertia and your sort of ability to be agile and flex, you know, we've got to make the decisions now that will affect not just a week, three months, five, you know, but they'll affect almost almost 15 months. And when you haven't got accurate sightline, <laughs> much further than the end of next week, <laughs> it's really hard. So how are you managing that in terms of, you know, the pupils that are coming through that were going to start for the first time in September, perhaps thinking about when they're going to come, how they're going to start. Is that something you've had to really yeah. look at completely differently? Yes, I mean, we, we, all of our experiences probably since March, you know, from the, the it's just sort of vertical learning curve. Because we have 47 different countries of residents represented by the, by the pupil body, um, as soon as the very first cases appeared anywhere in the world, we were sort of had somebody somewhere who was affected by it that was part of our, part, part of our, our sort of community. Um, so that was the really January and um, we we began probably by mid-February to have almost nightly meetings you know I'm going to say Cobra it's a ridiculous over-exaggeration but Cobra style meetings in school with mm. with the key personnel just to try and make sure that we were completely on top of what Public Health England was saying um, what what the sight line might be and then talk through all of the implications as to what we might need to adjust by way of policies to allow for girls to get home, you know, if other countries were starting to close borders um, and then cancelling flights, shifting flights. So really, even before the, 20, the famous 20, 20th, 23rd of March lockdown, 
um, we, we sort of felt as if we were in the grip of it to some degree, some degree. Um, and that gave us quite a good sightline in of what we were going to be contending with, if I'm honest. Whereas in talking to a few of my local peer heads who were who are just brilliant, brilliant people, you know, they 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 were certainly aware of it. There's no question of that. But the the letters to the parents began really that week rather than, you know, two almost two months before. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating process and it has been very, very instructive because you, you sort of, you have to go, you have to translate everything that you do as very best you can online in basically in two weeks. And if we were in a perfect world, you would probably have two years to plan that intentionally and say, right, we're going to go digital. We're going to test this. You'd have working groups. You'd, you'd, you'd work with people who'd done this before or had expertise probably to advise you. You'd then have a focus group. You'd then beta test everything. Then you'd roll out a training program. <laughs> like you know, That would be year one. And then everyone would know what was happening in year two is implementation. But, you know, we had no option. You just, you take everyone home in two weeks and you stay teaching and the kids stay learning as best they can. And you realize that actually you've done it. It's not perfect. It's all a bit wrinkly. And, you know, there are some misshapen dimensions here and there, but it's, it's actually quite encouraging because you realize what people are capable of doing. And um, it tends to bring the superhero out in people when there's a shared crisis so, you know, phenomenal effort of people just rallying and trying to dig deep and get, get over their fears and their worries or their, you know, what they felt was their lack of technical competency. <laughs> Boot camp on, on how to use Teams and how to film yourself and how to upload stuff. And, you know, they often staff want to, you know, translate the very best practice that they have perfected over years. They want to get to that level of delivery in two weeks which you you can't you can't necessarily do and i think um we've learned a great deal about how to optimize the online experience as opposed to just how to deliver it you know you can certainly do stuff but how can you make that really really good and really effective and it needs to be thought about in a different way to the the actual classroom when everybody's there in person yeah and I imagine it's different like you say some people don't feel comfortable speaking on on camera do they so it might be something that uh they feel very you know uncomfortable with they just have to get used to it don't you but I imagine one of those things that you you learn on you learn as you go along and I imagine if you look back at everyone like say in March to where they're at now but everyone's uh, probably impressed themselves how they've uh, come on uh, absolutely 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 and I think probably whilst um the the shared experience not just across the school but probably in almost every household most families were going through this as well so you know mum or dad or both were also having to work from home it wasn't just the kids that were being sent home it's like we're all at home <laughs> so um a lot of um probably with hindsight there'll be some very amusing you know sitcoms written about this about who's printing out from the printer making a racket while someone's trying to have a very important meeting you know and you said about the um, learning for the pupils do you think that will change in terms of how pupils mm. learn obviously they've probably had to be a bit more independent themselves in perhaps uh, how they learn yeah. is that something do you think will will change perhaps yes i mean the the good thing in a way is i think the cult the internal culture of our school is as far as possible a, a fairly sort of healthy self-critical review as the normal culture so everything that 
that we do usually we we try and ask ourselves you know there's no smugness it sort of could that have been better even if it was pretty good you know how could it have been better so i think we we had the right cultural preconditions for that as an organization and um you know definitely i'm i know from speaking to other heads as well that a lot of people are, are really thinking there are some fantastically transformational things that have happened with this that we would never have got everybody over the line you know in this speed with this level of, of buy-in had we not had this urgency and the imperative of you know there's basically no option and uh, we mustn't lose the momentum of that so from the perspective of the pupils i think they some of them have surprised themselves i think some of them have had a bit of a sort of bumpy ride of you know panic and anxiety and and how will i cope and then actually they realize bit bit by bit step by step that they are coping and that it's going to be right it's just different it's not what you're conditioned to but it's something else but actually you can do all of these things so it's encouraged i think um a lot more one-to-one -one interpersonal understanding um i mean we took the decision to uh not to furlough our pastoral team house of house mistresses even though the resident boarding care obviously the girls are not here and and we 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 didn't we thought it was fairly unlikely the government would allow for boarding to fully reopen again this term as indeed it is proving to be the case but um, we, we thought we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't furlough housemistresses because actually that partial care of that one-to-one -one is about a relationship. It's actually being a mentor, understanding what's going on in their life, having that trust and being able to challenge them and sometimes have the difficult conversations with them to pick themselves up and, and you know, keep going or, or maybe there's, there's really help that they need. So I think it's revealed, Alistair, if I'm honest, that we have, and it's what makes us, it, what, it's what makes working here a very, very rich experience is we have a huge diversity of families. Um, and a number of those families are working in very, very challenging conditions, ranging from, you know, very rural, hardly any broadband. We, we've had one girl who said, you know, I just can't get to all these online lessons because it's lambing season. You know, we are, I have, I've got to be out there lambing. So it's literally all hands to the pumps. So you think, oh my goodness, of all the things you expect of why we can't come to our math lesson, you know. Um, but for that family, that is a reality. And Elsewhere, it might be that you're eight hours away in a time zone, so you're struggling to still be awake at two in the morning or, or indeed wake up at 4 a.m. in order to be part of a lesson if you're, if you're living in Mexico. But we, we've largely, we've done our online teaching through Teams and we have offered a blend of live interaction, pre-recorded material, recording lessons so that if girls have to tune in when they wake up, when that lesson has happened because they've been asleep they can replay the lesson and you know try and keep everybody on track even though they're literally spread out all over the world and you know it's not perfect and there are some girls who really have struggled from for a variety of circumstances I'm, I'm sure that's true true in every school but um we are each week it's like a ratchet effect up you know the baseline of capability gets a bit higher everybody's confidence gets a bit better we've all finally got over ourselves with the horror of looking at ourselves on the screen all day in a small tile, you know, 
<laughs> gradually, eventually, and people are coming off camera and starting to talk. And certainly, I think in in modern teaching environments, you know, you will very often see the teacher saying, "Okay, it's not the sage on the stage talking at the class. This is about you being a facilitator of their learning, and them having ownership of that process much more in terms of the pedagogy." and collaboration so we've been able to create now channels within teams which is the equivalent of saying right break into groups of four and talk about this for three or four minutes and then you can actually virtually you can pull everybody back in for a plenary so once once we've understood actually what the capabilities of the tech are they people in those smaller groups they are less worried also about speaking over each other you know, in a classroom, you might have hands up, there might be two people talking at once, but that's very unlikely to happen on screen for some reason in two dimensions. People are a little bit more courteous, there's some netiquette going on, you know. <laughs> so trying to get the energy, keep the pace can be also be quite challenging at times. Yeah, you always get the delay online, don't you? And like it's a lot stop start, isn't it? And then after you, oh no, you go on. So oh, yeah, um, there's yeah. a lot of everyone's now master the putting up the hand icon, which you know it, a lot of this translates quite well into the classroom reflexes, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does actually. Yeah, and you mentioned you know a lot of people are worried. I guess for your six formers, the ones that were you know sitting A levels and then going to university, that must have been mm. a very difficult time mm. for them to plan and prepare what they're doing. For sure. I mean, as to the, the, I think nowadays, you know, I, I grew up in the 1980s and I, I sort of left school in 1990, um, 30 years ago, and there was that sort of recession in the UK, 90 to 92, and often we know, you know, unemployment tends to, tends to sort of be the lagging indicator behind growth. I think for this experience, we're going to have all sorts of bizarre trends now, but the anxiety about you know being employable and is it worth the cost of going nowadays with the fees obviously to higher education um student debt and all the rest of it and then the worries about internships and the price of the housing market and can will i be employable will i get a job afterwards so there is there was already there are already some really big structural challenges i think for for, for young people um one of the the symptoms of which is you've got a lot of people in their 20s who are still at home with their parents or either permanently or, or at least you know in the majority they haven't really they haven't really left home yet just because of those of those cost burdens and, and those and those challenges so i think the the generator the graduating class of 2020 who are all in all our schools leaving school for this year if it's possible to experience intense relief and intense anticlimax all at the same time. <laughs> I think that's probably what, what they're feeling, which would seem co the contradictory feelings, you know, there will be a small handful who think, oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. You know, the act of God has spared me having to go in that wretched exam room. I hate exams. I don't, I don't suit exams. I don't want to do it. You know, this is my worst nightmare. Well, they've been spared the experience of sitting them. But even if you're not comfortable about that prospect, there is also that sense that you've been preparing for something. And I'm imagining the Olympic athletes must feel like this too, with the, the postponement of the Olympics, you know, that you prepare for so long for something that in your life at least is a very big deal. And then it sort of disappears into the sand underneath you. And then you think, what am I going to do with myself? You know, I, I've got all this, all this sort of reflexes and keyed up and what, you know, and, 
the spinning top goes a little bit off the rails at that point. So we we always we always do stay in touch with our alumni and do our very best to be here for them even one year, two year, three, four years after they've left if they if they need any guidance or advice or plugging into our alumni network. We have a professional guidance centre team who you know hold all of that communications really as a hub um and and we really hope that we that that our you know our our graduates of this year will draw as heavily as they need to on that backup um but i i'm sensing that there is there is also some deep reflection going on at the moment um probably among parents and families not just kids it's it's all of us isn't it as a society of thinking you know what is out of balance in our lives what the paths that we were all on are they actually really the paths that bring us purpose and meaning and fulfillment and contentment and actually is this what we want um so what we all kind of return to might not be exactly where we were headed in the first place i don't know yeah i mean i think i think alistair what what's going to be very interesting in terms of the universities is that the the UK, if I call it UK PLC, you know, UK education PLC is is something that has been attractive to people in other countries and people have been willing to come over here for either a school education as a border or and slash or a higher education after that post 18. And there are at the moment, at least there looks to be a number of impediments in the way of that being a smooth process. So, you know, can people get visas? Um, if they're enrolling in a two or three or four year program, are they confident they will get a visa every year adequately to be sure they can finish it? They can not just come through the door on day one, but will they be allowed to finish the whole course? Otherwise it's very abortive and disruptive for them. Um, what's the availability of international flights? Because when you look at the, the proportion of the world's airlines and aircraft that are just on the ground at the moment and very unclear as to the financial viability of the airline industry to, to go far, you know, anywhere near back to what we would all have recognised in February um, anytime soon. Um, and then what will the costs of the flights be? Because when those flights start to be reinstated, if there is if there is significant spacing required within the cabin and your actual number of passenger headcount is is much lower than it would normally be then i'm imagining that the price of the fares will be reflected accordingly so all of those are factors that are almost like the sort of the complementary goods you buy when you buy the british education you buy the transport the travel the transits the hotels whatever you need to do to get there and then get back again an overlay on top of that possibilities of the quarantine either coming into the UK or even if it's not that at some stage when you go home wherever you go home to might impose a quarantine on you coming back from the UK so you could find yourself with an extra 28 days of time at, you know as the bookend at either end of your of your just flying home for the Christmas holidays or something which starts to feel very clunky and you know almost unworkable the binary option is you just stay here for months and months and months and months and months and, and you don't see your family or you don't go home and you pay the costs here of, of that additional accommodation. So I think it's we, we're at a really, really crucial point of inflection in the 10-year piece around how 
much support we can give you know to those families and students who really want to be here and want to contribute to the UK economy obviously but equally they they bring a great deal to our international mindedness and our understanding of the world um, and they they are really they add a great deal of value by by their presence so you know what we're trying to do is is talk first of all talk to all of our international families we have a school role of about 840 girls and 200 of them have to get on a plane to get here typically even if that's just from the channel islands some some of those flights are very very short but um it's still you know it's still quite a large number and um you know if necessary we will be helping them to perhaps join with other groups of boarders coming into back into other schools elsewhere in the UK and think, you know, at what point do you collectively, do they charter an aircraft and just get over here? So it's pushing the envelope and thinking, well, if there are barriers here, as you said, you know, if plan A is not working, do we sit in the road like a water buffalo and chew the cut and say, oh, poor me, victimhood? Or do you actually say, okay, let's think in a, more pioneering spirit way what are the alternatives how possible is it to do those we can't do those alone but can we do those collectively if we join up and we start talking to people that we normally probably wouldn't be talking to about these things but you know needs must so i think there's that's quite a creative space then for us for any for everybody to be in and you think what is the art of the possible and there there are some quite you know imaginative <laughs> thoughts being explored at the moment yeah definitely yeah i think it's bob marley that said you can either dance in the rain or get soaked so um absolutely oh that is wonderful yes now i'm going to channel the bob marley spirit of the dancing <laughs> we've got to give it a go we've got to we can't we can't just wave the white flag can we <laughs> exactly and uh, i guess for your pupils as well i was going to talk to you about social media um mm. it's um i guess at a time like now it's it's really useful for all the you know girls to stay in touch with their friends in times like this it's uh, it must be a real blessing to them all yeah i th i think you're right i said i think the the feelings of potential isolation of people who um maybe are an only child actually and, and may not have peer aged people at home or and or are just relatively rec reclusive or indeed do not like their siblings <laughs> <laughs> that the immediacy of that and being plugged plugged into your sort of network of buddies and pals and friends and, and, and the wider acquaintance is, is definitely been a psychological kind of cushion and safety net against those feelings of being isolated, provided, of course, you have broadband or signal or, you know, enough credit on your phone and your ability to communicate doesn't, doesn't somehow expire on you, which would be the end of the world. But um, I think what's interesting is if you've spent five or six hours a day on screen learning or doing essays or writing or doing your work um, then to do yet more hours holding your phone in one hand with your super fast thumb you know is is maybe less of a naughty and just sort of more screen time so I certainly think it's there and it's being used but it, I'm just noticing the difference in the balance of your time <laughs> Whereas when you're just in classes all day, it really feels that's, that's, that's different time and how you communicate with your friends. But you've actually been using technology all day to be in lessons with all your buddies as well. So it may, it may lose some of its appeal over time and people are reinventing and re, I think, 
probably re reappreciating the conversations they have with their own families because so many of the adults around have been having to commute and travel and get up and out and maybe you don't really get to talk much over breakfast you certainly might not talk at lunch at all because you're just none of you are at home and then in the evenings there's all sorts of different arrival times of everybody back and you may not have a shared meal so I think that's extraordinary because there will be memories that people take through to them with them from this time into years in the future which will I, I sense feature more of those conversations that particularly in the teenage years are not always easy or welcome um, because we don't always agree with each other do we <laughs> but probably really formative and you know important and when you push through the discomfort barriers or the barriers of you know I, we haven't had many deep conversations for the last x months you find your way into a different plateau of of opportunity to relate to each other and you haven't got the pressure of somebody's on their way out to do something which often truncates the quality of the conversation or or in fact people avoid the difficult stuff so they, you know i think probably only time will tell how where all of that has taken us as a society that time brilliant okay and you mentioned as well about um people coming to the school in terms of the the Cheltenham and the Cotswolds for people or the international students a lot of them will have heard of the ladies college it does have an international standing the area itself though I mean are people aware of Cheltenham and Cotswolds and do you sort of push that and sell the area you know for prospective families I mean as I, I think to be honest I think Cheltenham and its location in the Cotswolds are tremendous tremendous assets I mean they it is a it is really a wonderful town and you know it's it's not as overwhelming as london or as a city perhaps in terms of size and scale um we've got incredible cultural richness with the festivals and you know lots of mini festivals as well not just the big four that everybody would recognize in the, in the form of literature jazz music science but also comedy and film and food and <laughs> you know all sorts of sort of poetry sort of two-day festivals here and there that that are, are are fabulous and create that sort of sense of a very engaged um uh, not just people who live here but also drawing in drawing in others who who might come from further afield i think the future of Cheltenham is quite interesting because um i taught economics a a level for many years and if you look at the demographic of Cheltenham in terms of you know where the where the well post-COVID everything might change but let's say life before COVID um there's there is a bit of an aging population and the question rightly has been asked you know what is Cheltenham 2050 going to look like when the retirement age might be higher because we can't all afford to keep you know drawing pensions at the rate we are and so on and so forth and actually who is living in Cheltenham, who is Cheltenham for, and actually have, have young people found that they've been priced out or that they, they've left or that they just didn't have enough pull factors to keep them. But there's been a lot of work, a lot of work is underway to really face into the headwinds of that and, and question it, examine it and try and, you know, create that sense of community for young, younger people and families that is really appealing. So I think it's a beautiful area. Personally, my um, husband and I feel very, very privileged to live here. And, um, you know, there, 
I, I, I can't speak highly enough of it. I think once people come and visit and they see and they recognize what its qualities are, then, you know, they are really sold. Um, so we, we, we do a lot on open days and things like that to make sure that people don't just look at a, a prospectus and make a decision that they, we try and, we try and get them to come and actually visit us. If we the whole package. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you see the, the ladies college uh, being a part of that community, you know, in terms of contributing and, and such like? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we've got, uh, partnerships with 26 local organisations that have reasonably well established um, us. So we've, we've had links with five, five, six, seven primary schools, um, quite a number of the local care homes, um, Lillian Faithful Homes, um, which are you know named after our third principal, um, who you know was a very passionate, passionate lady in terms of her care, her her sense of significant civil purpose and, and care um, but I've we've been thinking very hard about what that service and what that contribution which has been you know three three four hundred hours a week um, might look like when our access to each other's spaces is restricted so you know can we go to care homes in the same way can we go into each other can can a bunch of senior school age pupils go into a primary school and help with reading and help, you know, help with literacy and literacy things that they, that they've done for years and enjoyed very much. Um, we might find that those are restricted. So, so rather than sit here in June and think, Oh, it might be difficult. We're thinking, well, let's reinvent what volunteering might look like for a while, at least in a format that, can survive the restrictions of maybe a second lockdown maybe you know some quite rigid restrictions in place with shielding for a while and therefore there must be other ways and other formats um, and the girls have been fantastic with in terms of coming up with what those ideas might, might might be but I think we need to we need to be communicating as much as we can with potential future partners as well and if anybody's got any ideas or, or needs that they think that we could be helpful with, um, I would, we, we would love to hear from them. No, that sounds really good. It's very much, isn't it? Just um, day by day, week by week basis and uh, yeah. contributing, taking feedback and just trying to meet, make the best end of it. I think you, you and I were, were, you know, in correspondence earlier about, about STEM, actually about science mm. and, cyber piece around Cheltenham's future is is something that we're really interested in and, and I'm we we are keeping an eye on watch this space very much like to play a part in that um, in due course if we can um, but I trained originally as a structural engineer before I came into teaching and I feel I have always felt very passionately that that you know girls are well suited to engineering and um, very good problem solvers you know very good team players often and it it hasn't often it hasn't always been an industry that has attracted or indeed retained the female participation in the workforce so after i've been here for two or three years i the um we've introduced a faculty called engineering enterprise and technology here at college where every girl in year seven upwards is um is timetable to do it so it's sort of core for everybody at that age um, and they have 
they have been for you know we've, we've just literally got one one plus workshops so it's quite small but we've got a 3d printer and laser cutters and some some great kit and um we've written our own course really because i think often people get put off by the physics and the maths and this is hard and i you know it's it's not really for me but with the future with ai and also with a huge amount of climate science and big data and you know the world's problems i think there is a potentially a very powerful intersection between the issues that matter a lot to women and girls and men but off i i will speak for the girls that i i know you know that matter a great deal to them and the innovations that are going to be required to fix it or to take us as a society down an alternative pathway that is not so damaging and that is more sustainable um, and, and and i include not just the climate piece i would include the sort of widening inequalities gap um, between between nations in the world but also internally within a nation as well so those are very powerful issues and engineering and the mental training that engineers have to solve problems from first principles and find ways that are pragmatic and affordable to actually address something you know those are qualities that and skills that i think are hugely valuable and very transferable so we've introduced that literally four or five years ago and we've since then we've had a number of arkwright scholars which has been fantastic um, and girls have entered various Croto Science Prize and engineering competitions externally and, and you know, really had some success. So they love it. And um, even the girls who might not have thought of themselves as being an engineer <laughs> are finding that they get their sleeves rolled up. So, you know, that's again, that's a theme in terms of science and STEM. We've, we've, we've always had a huge strength in the traditional three sciences and lots of girls every year will go into medicine into maths computer science architecture or you know engineering stem related courses let's say as well as languages and arts and and, and humanities but we we would love in the next few years to do more outreach with our stem um for 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 everybody but i think it's especially for girls mm. so if again if that's a topic that appeals to anybody listening to this uh we'd love to love to be in a conversation with them. It was great to get an insight into how the Ladies' College is adapting to the current global situation. I've spoken to a lot of business owners recently, and for those who have either furloughed staff or implemented the remote working of its staff, the return of its employees is a really big issue in, in how best to do this. But when, in the case of the Ladies' College, your setting includes the return of people from all around the world, this clearly creates further obstacles to overcome to ensure what's best for every individual, both in terms of safety and economically. And you can see how the planning process for this needs to be so fluid and is constantly evolving. If you've enjoyed listening, do please leave a review or rating and be sure to subscribe to be first to hear our latest episodes. This podcast was brought to you by Alistair James Insurance Brokers of Cheltenham. We provide personal insurance for high-value homes and contents, including fine art, collectibles, jewellery and watches, and for commercial insurance, a variety of sectors including commercial property, liability and construction. 
Visit our website, ajamesinsurance.co.uk and see the link to it in our show notes or follow us on all the usual social media channels to find out how we can help with all your insurance requirements.